Good morning. If you um, remember where we're studying, we're in the book of Genesis. So you can turn to chapter 27. We are covering nine chapters today. And if you've looked at your watch already, you just had a sinking feeling in your stomach. We are not going to read nine chapters. I'm going to summarize, and I'm going to try not to get distracted with all the wonderful details of these nine chapters. I would encourage you to read these um, as your study for this week, and then you can start reading all the way up to the end of Genesis. Why not start now? Because we're going to be tackling the rest of it in the next few weeks. I want to start with you, uh, or with some song lyrics that were laid on my heart actually this morning. Because the journey that we're going to go on from Scripture today deals with the life of Jacob. And Jacob did not really have a wonderful beginning to his life of following the Lord. Uh, He was a deceiver. He lied. He tricked people. And throughout that whole time, God was still present. So we're dealing with God being present today. It's not a brand new name of God. It's the nature of God that he is present. And the reason these song lyrics uh, hit me is because... This is exactly what Jacob realized over the course of his life until the very end of what we're dealing with today in chapter 36. You will see he finally realized that God was with him all along. It's a Sidewalk Prophets song, and it goes like this, or a portion of it goes like this. God, it was in my deepest pain that I heard you call my name. I heard you say that you were right there with me. I couldn't see it then. I could not see it then, but I believe it now. Love was standing there, holding me, but I couldn't see. That love was always there. He carried me, and now I believe. Jacob's life didn't start that way, but it's going to end that way. And I want you to see that as we summarize these verses. I want to read to you just a few of the verses that kind of span and summarize this whole passage Uh, So you can start to see what God said to Jacob, and you can start to see what Jacob recognized. So if you look at chapter 28, verse 15, God says to him, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave until I have done what I have promised you. Then in chapter 35, verse 3, Jacob says this, God who answers me in the day of my distress has been with me wherever I have gone. That's when he realizes. And then in chapter 35, 9 through 13, this is what it says. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. So you remember weeks ago, Even a month ago, months ago, this same promise was given to Abraham. This is carrying on now through Jacob, and God God is continually reminding the people that he has chosen what he has planned for them. 
You remember a few weeks ago we talked about a new name of God, El Roi, means God sees me. And I, I showed you a video of a little kid at his little graduation. They have graduations for everything now. Like you graduate from first grade, second grade, third grade, they hold a party, right? This little kid is walking in and he was desperately looking to see if someone was there to see him. He was really sad. But then all of a sudden his eye caught whoever was in the crowd that saw him and he just burst into an excitement. He jumped and leaped and went running around. But imagine how disappointed he would have been if that person who saw him in that moment had spent the rest of the time on their cell phone playing a game. Or they brought a book that they wanted to read. It suddenly becomes very unimportant that that person saw you at all. What you really are longing for is not only that person to see you, but you're longing for that person to be present in the moment. God is present. He is not distracted by other people and other activity. He is present in your life. And Jacob needs to realize that. And so what we're going to see is that God is present. There's only four points today. The first one is God is present in pursuing you. Don't run from him. You see, if we summarize chapter 27 and 28, we see that from birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name. You remember what his name means? It means heel grabber or deceiver. Throughout these chapters in his life, he takes advantage of his brother Esau's hunger to take his birthright. Then he cheats his brother with the help of his mother, Rebekah, out of his inheritance by tricking their old blind father. Jacob puts on animal skin to mimic Esau's hairiness so that his blind father wouldn't think that it was Jacob. And Rebekah prepares a meal of wild game, just as Isaac had said. He wanted to bless his oldest son, Esau, but Rebekah and Jacob tricked him into thinking that he was Esau. And so once Esau finds out that they had tricked his father and taken away his blessing, he begs Isaac for his own blessing, but it's not the same. It's a different degree of blessing. And Rebekah then, after Esau reacts and realizes, I hate my brother Jacob. I want to kill him. Rebekah says, run, flee, go. You need to get out of here. So Rebekah sends him to her brother Laban's house. A couple things to note about that summary. If you were to look at verse 4 in chapter 27, you would see that idea of a blessing. Well, in this culture, a blessing was given at a time of departure or when someone was going to die. That particular blessing was for one person and it could never be altered so the significance of this blessing, when Rebecca hears that Isaac wants to bless Esau, she goes, no, you got to bless Jacob, my favorite, the, the chosen one. That's why this was so important. That's why Isaac couldn't go about blessing Esau after the fact. Once it's given, it's done. It's very meaningful in that family. And so that's why they wanted it for Jacob. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 27 shows that Jacob never disagreed with the plan to deceive his father. He never once looked at Rebekah and said, maybe this isn't such a good idea. The only thing he said is, how can we do it better? Because if dad reaches out and he touches me, he's going to realize that I'm not hairy like my brother. 
So what can we do to further this plan of deception? This is the life that Jacob was living. He was lying. He was tricking. He was deceiving. And so Jacob presents the lie to his father to try to trick him. And even in his deception, he basically uses the Lord's name in vain because Isaac asks, how is it that you have already gone out and hunted and come back with wild game and prepared a meal? And Jacob's response, because the Lord your God granted me success. He's using God in his lie to get Isaac to believe it. And notice how Jacob says, the Lord your God. Jacob had not taken the idea and the understanding that God is present in his life, that he is his God. He's saying it's your God. He was not following he knew God was around. He knew that God was important to his, his forefathers, his, his grandparents, and everything like that. But he had not yet said, this is the Lord my God. He said, the Lord your God. He will find out that God is present. He will find out that it's important to not run from God. But even though Jacob had not considered God as his own, what did God do? He pursued Jacob. He had a plan for Jacob's life. So even in his running, we see that God is present and has intentional plans for his life. Jacob shouldn't have run, but he did, and he started pursuing his own plan. I use the word run not because we actually see Jacob running like we know of Jonah, ran. But by pursuing his own plans, he's not pursuing God's plans, right? And so he is turned away and he is serving self. That's what Jacob is defined at right now. The end of chapter 27 is the story of about how Rebekah tells Jacob to flee to, his, to her brother to run away from Esau because Esau wants to kill him. So go to Uncle Laban's house and hide. And then chapter 28 picks up where Jacob is fleeing, but before he goes, Isaac decides to bless Jacob and to tell him to go marry a godly woman from within the house of Laban. And so when Esau hears this, Esau's listening. There's a lot of eavesdropping in this family. Rebecca's listening in. Now Esau's listening in. And Esau hears that dad is not going to be too happy if Jacob marries someone that he shouldn't. So what does Esau do? He immediately goes to Ishmael, the reject, and he says, I want to marry one of your daughters because it's going to make dad angry. This dysfunction don't raise your hand, but anyone relate to family drama? Right? No, don't raise your hand. Oh, man. This is, this is a lot of deception. This is a lot of intentionally hurting feelings. And so Esau says, I'm going to marry someone that dad won't approve of. And that's summarized there in verses 8 and 9. We're in chapter 28. Then Jacob, after all of this, has a dream, starting in verse 10 of 28. God appears, and he reestablishes his covenant through Jacob. And Jacob responds to this dream. So he's not completely closed off to the Lord's work. Jacob responds, and he sets up a stone pillar, and he names this place Bethel, meaning the house of God. So even in the midst of him running, God is pursuing him. He's working on his heart. Jacob isn't completely closed off. He is responding. He sets up this, this place, and he calls it Bethel. God's present at critical points in Jacob's life, in his life. Even though he's running, even though he's 
getting away from the threat of Esau. He's not facing his problems head on. He's running. God is pursuing. God is appearing to him in a dream. God is reminding him that he is present. Jacob then makes a vow. Right after God identifies in verse 15, the verse that I read earlier where he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. Even though you're running, I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm not going to leave you because I'm going to accomplish what I promised. And Jacob responds to that with this vow. It's actually the longest vow recorded in the Old Testament. Verses 20, 21, and 22. But this vow, as much as you might think, yes, this is the Jacob I know making a vow to God, be careful. Because this vow is conditional. Has anyone ever heard of IFTTT? Anyone know what that is? If this, then that. You can set it up on your smart devices. If you have a house that has a bunch of smart objects, you can actually program like your device that when you... When your phone connects to my Wi-Fi, then I want this to happen in my house. Like I want the uh, TV to come on and put on the football game. So it can all be done automatically. It's if this happens, then I want this to happen. Let me read to you Jacob's vow. Because he turns it into an if this, then that scenario. He says, if God will be with me, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to earth, uh, give me bread and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. If, God, your promise is true and you're going to do all of these things for me, then I will make you my God. That's Jacob's response. And I find a lot of my responses are like that. Oh God, if you take care of my whole list of prayer requests, then, man, I'm going to passionately serve you. If, God, you do this, then I am going to reprogram myself to respond this way. Instead of just saying, God, almighty God, the author of my salvation, the one who sent Jesus Christ for me, that's it. That's all I need. That's more than I need. That's more than I deserve. It's not if this, then that. But that's what Jacob did. That's his response in chapter 28. Overall, though, I want you to not get a bad idea about Jacob because his heart is starting to warm up. He's pursuing his own plans, but God is present in pursuing him. And he's showing him that you can't run because I am right there. God is reestablishing that all the time. So for us, don't run from God. Recognize that right now his presence is in your life. And your faith may seem small, or your problems and troubles may seem so huge that you think the only thing to do is create your own plan and to run away from God because he doesn't want anything to do with you. Don't. He is present in pursuing you. Don't run from him. That's the lesson from 27 and 28. We pick up in 29 of Genesis, and we see that God is present in the development of his plan. We know that he has a plan, but he's also present in making sure that plan develops and is accomplished. And so the idea here is that we need to let him lead. Jacob didn't do that. Jacob was deceitful, manipulative. He was always looking to be blessed. 
but God was present to accomplish his plan. All of the things in Jacob's life were developing him to be able to recognize God's presence. Moment by moment, he wasn't. But as a big snapshot, when Jacob looks back over the many years, we see in chapter 35 that he says, it was God all along who was present. And God is developing all of these things in Jacob's life to get him to recognize that. So Jacob continues on his journey. He meets Rachel, Laban's daughter, and he immediately falls in love. So he goes to Laban and Laban says, yeah, you can have her. Work for me for seven years and then you can have her. And Jacob does it. But at the end of the seven years, Laban tricks Jacob. And on the night that he thought he was getting Rachel, under the cover of darkness, Laban gives him the eldest daughter, Leah. Deceit runs in the family, apparently. Jacob did not like being tricked. He was always the trickster. And now he just got tricked. Not a big fan of that. So there's tension already. But Jacob says, I'm so in love with her, I want her. Laban says, work another seven years and I'll give her to you. And so he does. So after all of that, Jacob takes two more wives. So he has four total. We already see, we already established at the beginning of Genesis, what's God's plan for marriage? One wife. God didn't suddenly say, take as many as you want. I'm just so generous. One wife, right? They're breaking God's command. But he takes four total wives, and he has 12 sons and one daughter. At the end of chapter 30, Jacob and Laban are battling over flocks and possessions, and there was a lot of prosperity there. Jacob appears to have won in this battle of arguments and raising flocks and healthy animals and things like that. Uh, but it wasn't because Jacob was smarter. It wasn't because Jacob had more cunning than anyone else. It was because God is a God of grace and he was present in the development of that plan. And every success that Jacob saw wasn't because he was such a wonderful servant of God. It was because God develops his plan and God is a God of grace. And so Jacob has more opportunities to see, I need to let God lead because God is present in my life. So even in the midst of all of the family chaos with the deception from Laban, the trickery from Jacob, the multiple wives and those wives giving Jacob their servants as more wives, so we have four different mothers to 12 different boys, God was still present and developing his plan in the life of Jacob. Leah, the unloved wife, has half of those sons including the priestly line of Levi and the messianic line of Judah. God is a God of grace. He is present in all of that. R.C. Sproul says this, Jacob experiences the blessing of divine providence in meeting Rachel, and in a bitter irony, the deceiver becomes the deceived. So behind the two scenes, the gracious and just hand of the sovereign God who works all things according to his purpose and who promised to be with Jacob can be discerned. God is there. He is present. He doesn't abandon his plan. He doesn't leave so that it develops on his own. He is intentional. And we must let him lead. When we don't take the time to recognize that it is because of the hand of God, then it's easy to convince ourselves of happenstance. 
or luck, right? Was it a stroke of luck that Jacob magically saw Rachel in the middle of the day when no one goes to water because it's too hot? No, it wasn't luck. It was God's sovereignty in the plan that he's developing. He was present, and he's present in your development too. He's present in your life. He is responsible for his plan, and he has a plan for you, and we need to let him lead. We certainly can't run, and we definitely need to let him lead. So then the story of Jacob continues in chapters 31 and 32, and we see that God is present in your correction, and we need to cling to him. Now, Jacob is still a man of lying and deceit, and God has to do something to get his attention. Has anyone ever been in a point of their life where God had to do something to get your attention? And it was something that you really didn't want to go through. Anybody? We've all been through some big things, and we know that God is working, but it's a miserable experience. Jacob needed something to just slap him and say, stop serving yourself and serve God. Make God yours. God's going to do that. But even in the midst of all that correction, we see that God is present. So chapter 31 tells us the story of Jacob fleeing Laban secretly with his wives and children. However, this also was the guidance and presence of God because do you remember God's promise in Verse 15 of chapter 28, what does he say to Jacob? You may be running, but what am I going to do? I'm going to bring you back to this land. So the situation got so bad because of Jacob and his rejection of just every help, but God used it to say, you're coming back now. I'm bringing you back to this land. And so God is fulfilling that promise. God remains faithful to that promise even though Jacob was a schemer and he continued that. And we even see in chapter 31 that there were pagan idols present in the household. So not only did Jacob not officially say, God, you are my God, he was also allowing, we don't know worshiping for sure, but he was allowing pagan idols in his household. And God is still present. He is still working on him. In verse 5 of chapter 31, we see that Jacob is softening to the presence of God when he says, but the God of my father has been with me. And we see for the first time that Jacob acknowledges that it's still the God of his father, but he recognizes his presence. And we see a softening in Jacob. And in the next few chapters, we're suddenly going to see a brand new person because God is pursuing him. God is present. We heard last night from Pastor Derek. He was so genuine. And he said he was he's not a great kid, rejected the ways of the Lord, and all it took was one person to just invite him to a Bible study. God was present, softened his heart, brought him to a point of realizing that he needed Jesus as his savior. We see a softening in Jacob in chapter 31. And we see this recognition of God's presence continue to grow as he runs, as he goes back to where God has called him. And God is using all of this mess, all of this stuff that's happening with family to bring Jacob to a point of humility. You see, all of this correction is part of God's plan. And he uses it to accomplish 
his glory, his purpose. But to finally put an end to the pursuit that Jacob had of himself and his own plan, we see one of the strangest stories in Scripture. Jacob wrestling with God. And this may have a lot of question for you, and I'll try to summarize it as best as I can, but what we see is that Jacob, as he is fearing Esau, as he is running, he knows that Laban is, is chasing him from behind, and he knows that he's headed towards Esau, who has 400 men. And the last thing that Jacob wants is a busy night. He wants rest. He wants peace. He wants to wrap his mind around running from an enemy and pursuing his brother who wants to kill him. But God has different plans, and God suddenly engages Jacob in a wrestling match. This is a physical person that Jacob wrestles. It's a tangible, visible manifestation of God himself that engages Jacob in a wrestling match. You can understand the symbolism here as each one of us struggles with self and we know the desires that we have and we wrestle and we say, but I want to do what's right, but I don't know how to do what's right and it's this back and forth and Jacob is wrestling because he is a man of self. I will win. I will lie my way out of anything. I will deceive you to get whatever I want and God is wrestling him all night long, physically exhausting him. Now, don't think that Jacob's strength is that of God's, and so it took God all night long to wrestle Jacob. No. God matched Jacob's strength and knew that it was going to take all night to wear him down to a point of humility where he says, I can't do it anymore. And suddenly, at the end, God touches Jacob. Now, the word is touch. This word does not mean that God suddenly used some magical power and just barely went, boop, and dislocated his hip. This is an act of strike, if you look that word up. It's a strike, and God showed that I am stronger. You will not beat me, Jacob. And he brings him to a point where the only response that Jacob has is to cling to God. He realizes he can't win. And all he can do is cling to him. God even says, let me go in verse 26. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, of course, Jacob wants another blessing, right? But what's different about this one is Jacob recognizes that it is God who blesses. And he can't do anything about it. He can't lie. He can't trick to get this blessing. All he can do is just cling to God and say, I'm not letting go because it is you, you alone who blesses me. And what we see in verse 27 of chapter 32 is an amazing look at the gospel. Because God asks Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob is presented with an opportunity to own it or to lie. And everything up to this point was Jacob lies about everything. But Jacob owns it. And he says, I know all I can do is cling to God. And I'm going to be honest for the first time. And I'm going to say, my name is Jacob. 
And by pronouncing his name, it reminds him that it means heel grabber. It means deceiver. It means that his whole life, all he's done is live up to this stupid name. And he needs something different. He needs to just cling to God. And God rewards that humility. And he says, all right, I'm going to change your name. Because finally you understand that it is not you. It is not you living up to what everyone expects of you. It is you finally coming to a point of saying, I'm laying it all down and all I can do is cling to God. And so God promises to name him Israel, which means wrestles with God. And so for us, we have to remember we can't lie or deceive our way into the blessings of God. We must recognize that God is present in our correction and we must stop fighting him We need to stop clinging to who we were or what you've done and realize that all you can do is just cling to God and you can do that because of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for you. Just as Jacob receives a new name that's called Israel and a brand new identity, you too in Jesus Christ can be made new. And so ultimately we look at the end of this passage 33 through 36 and we see the very simple truth truth, that God is present and we must trust him. You see, this section ends with Jacob and Esau's reunion. Jacob thought he was going to be arriving to Esau, who was going to attack and kill him, but instead it was a reconciliation, and they embraced each other. There wasn't a war. Then there's lists in scripture here as it ends this passage with transitions of the different patriarchs. And it also shows that Jacob, even though he came to a point of humility with God in that wrestling match, he still struggled to flesh things out. He was still battling, but he was continually realizing more and more that he needed to say less of me and more of God. I need to trust in his presence. I need to, re- I need to understand that it is all about God's work in my life. And Jacob struggled but he begins to have more and more strength in his faith. He goes back to Bethel, and he makes a vow. He's also confirmed as, God's, as the successor to God's Abrahamic promises. He sees his 12 sons safely settle in the promised land. He's reunited with his brother and his father. But in all of that, I want you to look at chapter 35, verses 2 and 3. And I want you to hear what Jacob has to say. Because this statement springboards into the time where God officially renames him. This was all the way back in chapter 32 in this wrestling match where God said, I'm giving you a new name. But it takes three more chapters of historical things to happen before God actually does it. And I want you to see Jacob's statement and how different it is from the lying, deceiving Jacob that we know to now God ready to change his name. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, suddenly Jacob's a preacher. He says to everyone around, I'm finally going to lead my household. He says this, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar for the God who answers me in the day of my distress. And listen to this straight statement. And has been with me wherever I have gone. He looks back at his life and he sees all of the junk that he's done, all of the lies, and he says, 
no matter how I ran, no matter what I did, no matter what my name means, God used all of that, and he's been with me this whole time. He didn't see it then, but he sees it now. Finally, the point of complete humility and trust in God, that it is God, it was God, and it's going to continue to be God, that he is present and he can always be trusted. And God says, now's the time. Your name is no longer Jacob. It is Israel. I'm changing it. Your old name, your old life, your past can be done because God declares that you are brand new. So do you realize today the one, capital O, the one who has been guiding and correcting and accomplishing all things for his purpose in your life? Or are you still wrestling? Or are you running? Or are you serving yourself? Because it's not your own cunning that's going to save you. It is not you pretending. It is not you lying or deceiving and trying to manipulate things around you so that it all looks good. It is only in complete dependence on God, in the saving power of Jesus Christ. But remember, it's also not your past that's going to disqualify you from this. Because God says, come just as you are. Because he is the one who deals with all of it. And so you can let your past try to define you, and it doesn't matter when you come to the point of humility and you say, God, it's not me. I can put to death every disgusting lie and sin that I have been involved in when I realize that it is just because of Jesus Christ. So your past doesn't disqualify you. It's your dependence on God and the person of Jesus Christ and what he did. So the last thing I want to say cling to him. Make it your declaration that as we close here today that it is him, it is only him who we need. That his presence is here. He can be trusted. And all you need to do is just grab hold and never let go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for how you refreshed my spiritual life this week with the study of Jacob and how relatable he is to just the human condition. God, I just want to thank you this morning that you are present. That no matter what we do, no matter how we run or lie or deceive or figure out creative ways to sin, God, you pursue us. You love us so much that you are present and you are working out your plan and all we need to do is recognize that you are with us. We need to cling to you and not ourselves and I thank you for reminding me of that this week. So Lord, as we close, I just pray that each person here would be able to declare with a new passion, with a new excitement that it is a simple truth, that it is Lord, it is you that we need.